Welcome to another edition of the Retirement Education Hour. I'm Megan Mozak here with the president and co-president of Senior Planning Advisors, Kirk Cassidy and Dr. Paul Mettler. Coming up, we're going to give you information on how you can sit down with Kirk and Paul for one of their upcoming educational workshops. These classes are held at local universities, including the University of Michigan, Eastern Michigan University, and Michigan State University Novi Campus, also Oakland University. So stay tuned for that and how you can get registered. Kirk and Paul, it's great to be back with you. You know, we all want to do better, don't we? we? Our kids should want to do better in school. We all want them to do better. We want to do better, whether it's on the golf course or out there training for our next race. And so we're constantly asking the question, aren't we? How do we improve our performance? And the two of you have some great takeaways on this when it comes to our finances leading into retirement. Tell us about that. It is great to be back, Megan. And yes, we're all chasing performance. And, you know, part of this is because, uh, particularly in the financial service industry, we've all been conditioned to measure success based upon performance. And, and we're going to spend today talking about that measuring performance needs to be done using many different variables. It's not just the average rate of return, because we're going to show you examples where having a very good average rate of return can still result in outliving our money, depending on when we get those returns and how much money we're taking out of our accounts once we retire. So we first have to establish how do you measure performance strictly from a performance perspective and is it, is it good or is it bad? And it's done by determining whether it's efficient. So when we're looking at performance when investing, there's two variables. One is the growth rate we get and the second is how much risk did we take to get that growth rate. So it's not as simple as just saying last year, my portfolio averaged 10%, so I did well. Well, if you average 10% returns and you took the same risk as the stock market did and the stock market did 20% this year, well, then you really underperformed. You didn't perform well. You were taking greater risk for the amount of return you got. In other words, what if the market was going down? At the same level, the standard and pours is going down and the market goes down 10%, you would have lost 20% in that same scenario. So we have to know how much risk we're taking to determine how much return we should get. And then we can determine whether you're doing well or not. Unfortunately, Paul, most people don't look at performance that way. One of the common questions we get when I meet someone on the street and they find out what I do. So how'd your clients do last year? What was your rate of return? <laughs> and I say, well, why is that's irrelevant, right? If I've got someone that's only trying to take, that's only taking half the risk of the market, we shouldn't expect to get the same amount of return as the market. We should expect to get half the return of the market, right? It's correct. And in fact, you mentioned people on the street. We meet people actually in, in our classes who ask the same question. We, we often will ask this question. So what is a good rate of return? And then we'll show examples of people who have eight, 9% and we'll ask the question, would you like that? And everybody raises their hand until we show them how much risk they took to get that 8% and all of a sudden it's not nearly as efficient as they, as they thought it was. So, so the term efficiency is key. It's really about how much risk do you take to, to get the rate of return that you received. And if you took extra risk, that's not good. That's not a good performance. It's not. And we're going to really, we're going to ask you to stick with us. We're on for an hour here and we're going to really start to define how, what are the variables and different variables that you need to consider once you retire to measure whether you're performing well or poorly. It's not just rate of return, but 
we talk a lot about this, Paul, when we're teaching our classes, right? And Paul and I teach these classes for the last 10 years that are held at the University of Michigan, Eastern Michigan University, Michigan State University, the Novi Campus, and Oakland University. At this course, we spend about eight hours, right? It's, it's seven, eight hours, and we go through a 200-page textbook. Um, there's a charge for this course. It's $29 to attend, and all the t- tuition that people pay to attend the course goes to charity. We'd encourage you to go online, check out the syllabus, and register for one of our upcoming classes, and we can teach you how to build your own retirement plan. You can go to retirementplanningedu.com, retirementplanningedu.com, or 1-800-240-8981. It's always great to be here with Kirk and Paul, and I know we're talking about improving our performance as we head into retirement. But that also means that we have to measure our performance to know where we stand. How do we do that? Well, Megan, I think there's a shift, right? We have to transition. Our relationship with money needs to evolve as we approach retirement and in retirement. Our focus when we're in what we call the accumulation phase of our lives has been on just growing our money. In other words, uh, we have served money all of these years, and now it's time to allow that money to serve you. And when we are talking about performance in retirement, it's not strictly rates of return because there's a tax efficiency that we need to look for. It's really to measure performance is to make sure we don't outlive our money, right? And one of the variables people struggle with in retirement is this fear that they're going to outlive their money. So they are constantly allowing performance in the stock market and the economy to determine whether they are going on vacation the next year, whether they're remodeling in the house or doing some of the things they wanted to do in retirement, but they're not doing because they're so fearful that they're going to outlive their money because they are so focused, hyper focused on performance instead of recognizing that performance in retirement has many different variables and there's a lot of different triggers that can drive that performance to make sure you don't outlive your money. It starts with planning, right, Paul? Right. So I, I think what you're saying, Kirk, is that is that ultimately the term performance is much greater. It's much more. It's a broad. It's much broader when you think of, of people in retirement than when you're working, right? Performance isn't just about how well you do in the stock market, because in fact we can show people who do really well in the stock market and actually run out of money. So performance. There's so much that goes into what does it mean to perform well. Most importantly, making sure you don't outlive your money. Here's one. Here's one that people aren't thinking of right now, and most people in retirement or getting close to retirement have never considered. When you take your money out of your accounts is going to determine the performance of your accounts over the long term. No one's ever talked about that before. And it probably still doesn't make sense to you. And it is one of the things that we spend so much time when we're teaching our classes, Paul. We teach these classes again. We teach them every month at uh, local universities, University of Michigan, Eastern Michigan University, Michigan State University, the Novi campus and Oakland University. We spend eight hours teaching you how to build your own retirement plan to teach you all the variables to make sure you don't outlive your money in retirement. I'd encourage you to stick around for the rest of the show. And I'd also encourage you to go to our website and check out the syllabus and register for a class. You can go to retirementplanningedu.com, retirementplanningedu.com or 1-800-240-8981. And the Retirement Education Hour continues straight ahead.
Here with Kirk and Paul, Kirk Cassidy, Dr. Paul Mettler, President, Co-President of Senior Planning Advisors. Glad you're with us for the Retirement Education Hour. I'm Megan Mozak. We're talking about how you can improve your performance. What kind of performance? Well, we're talking about your financial performance in and nearing retirement. That's what Kirk and Paul help people do each and every day. That's their focus. Remember, if you want to attend those courses that Kirk and Paul teach that are held at local universities, I'm going to give you the phone number again and the website. Keep those handy, 800-240-8981, or register online at retirementplanningedu.com. As part of improving performance, Kirk and Paul, we need to understand efficiency. And you touched on this, but define that. What does efficiency mean when we're talking about investing for retirement? So efficiency is the main concern and consideration we should be thinking about when we're talking about performance, right? So we can't simply just look at the performance of an, uh, of an investment without knowing how much risk we're taking with that investment. So we want to make sure that we're measuring things by looking at how much risk are we taking and the reward we get for that. And Paul, there are several things that impact that, right? I mean, I, 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 right off the top, fees you know, mutual funds between one and a half and two and a half percent you're paying in fees per year or the average 401k costs about three percent a year to be in a 401k. So think about that two to three percent a year of performance that can be on the in addition to the performance that you're seeing on your returns. How much more efficient will your portfolio be if we can reduce fees? You know, exactly. And so, you know, one of the things that we do is we actually measure efficiency. So when we sit down with someone for the first time, we'll look at their investments and we'll see exactly how they perform against a benchmark. And we compare how much risk did they take versus how much return they, they received versus the benchmark. And oftentimes what we find, especially with people in mutual funds, is they are significantly underperforming. And when you start factoring in the fees for those mutual funds and you add trading costs, right? The cost, the, the, the commissions every time they're trading and the fees in those mutual funds and the 401ks, it adds up significantly. And I think, you know, the problem is when we're working, we don't really care. We don't think about it. But when you retire, trust us, if you're paying 2 to 3% in fees, it will significantly erode your efficiency. And in the long run, it's going to impact how well you're going to perform. Well, it, it impacts because you're not simply leaving your money in deferral anymore. Now we're pulling money out. So if the market has a small correction and it goes down 10, 15% in a year, which is a very reasonable, what Paul, in December alone, we saw a 19.4% pullback in the market, right? right? So now imagine we have a 10, 15% pullback in the market. We're paying two to 3% a year in fees, right? And we're withdrawing 5% out of that portfolio. Not sustainable. So how much longer will it? So that's the variable people don't understand when it comes to retirement and why performance isn't simply a total rate of return rate of return any longer. It's not an average rate of return either. It's actually a real return. And to be truly efficient and maximize performance, we have to be strategic about when we're taking money from which accounts at what age, right? So, Paul, we've proven and something we talk a lot about in our class is that if we can minimize taxes, that is a way to increase efficiency and sustainability of your money without increasing or decreasing risk. So we can 
result have a greater amount of appreciation if we're paying less in taxes, allowing our money to last longer. For right? sure, for sure. You know, if I, if I wanted to say one th- more thing about fee- fees, if you don't mind. Yep. Go ahead. So, so I think, you know, most people believe they know the fees they're paying and they're listening to this saying, okay, I know what I pay on my mutual funds. I get a prospectus. <laughs> I know what I'm paying my advisor. My 401k tells me what I'm paying and I've added it all up and there is no way I'm paying 3%, you guys. There's no way I'm paying that, right? Uh, I guarantee you people who are listening, you all think that. I promise you, if you have an actively managed mutual fund, which most of you have, meaning not an index fund, you are paying between one and a half and two and a half percent just for that mutual fund alone without being inside of a, a defined contribution plan. It's a plan that's heavily regulated. And when something is regulated in a plan and you are a participant in your 401ks, there's also additional fees to administer that plan and manage that plan in legal costs. So I would refer them to uh, the retirement gamble, the PBS Frontline, Google PBS Frontline, the retirement gamble, and go ahead and watch that 45-minute segment, which talks specifically about fees. Right. Right. And the fiduciary standard and the different debates that right. we talked so about. So just because, just because they don't tell you that's what you're paying doesn't mean that's not what you're paying. That's so the bottom line. The confusion is the net expense ratio. People right. think the net expense ratio, I'm in Vanguard and it's the cheapest mutual funds out there. And they typically are the least expensive mutual funds out there. But your net expense ratio isn't the only fee you're paying. There's something called turnover ratio. And it's something we teach in our class, right, Paul? Is the turnover ratio inside of your mutual fund is how many times the individual holdings inside that mutual fund are being bought and sold every single year. And that actual turnover ratio is a number you can find. You can, when you do research about mutual funds, it'll tell you the turnover ratio of that mutual fund. And think about if you have a 100, 200% turnover ratio, that means everything in that mutual fund was bought and sold twice in a year. And when something is bought and sold, there's a transaction fee, There's a commission, and if a bond is involved, there's likely a spread involved. That's where we end up getting additional fees in our mutual funds, and that's why I don't care what study you read, you're going to find the average cost of that mutual fund is going to be between 1.5% and 2.5%. I don't care what kind of mutual fund it is. It's going to be 1.5% to 2.5%. And guess what, folks? They don't have to tell you that. They're not required to disclose They are not required to disclose those fees related to turnover ratio, but they all exist. And that's why, you know, we can't stress enough. You need to educate yourself because there are things that you can control going into retirement and in retirement to increase your performance and efficiency in retirement. The one that we talked about this segment, fees. We talk about this. We teach you how to identify how much you're paying in fees in your mutual funds. If you can reduce the cost of your mutual funds by one and a half to two and a half percent a year, think about how much longer your money lasts, particularly in a volatile market. So our classes are eight hours in length. We teach them at all the universities. It's $29 to attend. All of the tuition we donate right back to charity. I'd encourage you to go to our website, retirementplanningedu.com. At that website, you're going to be able to check out the syllabus. You can learn about the instructors. You're going to get a 200-page textbook if you register for this class to follow along. It is a comprehensive educational class. Go to retirementplanningedu.com, retirementplanningedu.com, or you can call 1-800-240-8981. 
And the conversation continues with Kirk and Paul here on the Retirement Education Hour, straight ahead. Improving your performance. That's our topic today with Kurt Cassidy and Dr. Paul Mettler, president and co-president of Senior Planning Advisors. This is the Retirement Education Hour. I'm Megan Mozak, and I do have a question about something the two of you said earlier. You mentioned inheriting capital gains. What do you mean by that, and what do we need to know? So when you own a mutual fund outside of your 401ks and IRAs, um, every t- so what is first? Let's establish what a mutual fund is. A mutual fund is a company that owns a bunch of individual stocks that many people own shares of that company. So when you own a mutual fund, you don't own Apple, Microsoft, AT and T. You don't own any of those companies. You own a company that owns those individual holdings. So when you buy a mutual fund, immediately from day one, when you bought that mutual fund you're inheriting what that mutual fund currently owns. And what they currently own may be something they bought a long time ago. So in other words, they might have bought Apple many years ago at $100 a share. And even though you just bought the mutual fund, if that manager chooses to sell some of that individual Apple inside that mutual fund this year, you're going to be responsible for the taxes of whatever capital gains is recognized when that Apple shares are sold. But what if Kirk, what if you, the consumer decides not to sell that mutual fund? It right? doesn't matter if they sell the mutual fund or not. In fact, they could buy the mutual fund at the beginning of the year at $20 a share. We could have a bad year and that mutual fund value drops to $15 a share. They never sell the mutual fund, but the manager who's managing the individual holdings inside that mutual fund decides to sell some of their winners. You're going to get a 1099 at the end of the year, and you're going to have to pay capital gains on that. This is something most people don't realize. And the challenge when you're buying these mutual funds right now, and that's why really wealthy people typically don't own mutual funds. They're terribly inefficient. They're expensive in fees and their performance has historically been very poor. In fact, over the last 30 years, the average mutual fund has performed only at 3.98% compared to during that same time period, the S&P 500 has performed at over 10%. So part of that, this is what we're talking about performance is inefficiencies, right? And one of the inefficiencies is from a tax perspective. You're paying taxes. You're inheriting 15 to 25% capital gains the day you bought the mutual fund and you don't get to recognize you don't get to choose when to recognize those capital gains and not only do you not get to choose it but my guess is you don't even know how much you're inheriting in terms of capital gains right the average well you could do some research and I, find out but right yes, but most you're, most, you're most, pe- most of you are not knowing that when you buy your abc mutual fund that you're actually buying into a mutual fund that has 30 percent capital gains that that in fact you don't get to decide when it gets realized. And if they realize it, not only impacts the capital gains, but also can affect all of your other taxes as well, which we can, we can at some point talk about. Well, I, I, this, is, this is where we should, I think, um, expand the conversation around taxes, right? And it's something I know if you've been listening to our show for, for a while now, every, every show taxes comes up because it's such a key contributor to retirement planning and it's being ignored unfortunately by our industry everyone talks about tax efficiency but no one will do it if you ask your broker or advisor to help do tax planning they're going to tell you to go see your accountant or cpa 
your accountant and CPA is going to say, go see your financial advisor. No one wants to do it. And it's because it's complicated. It takes an enormous amount of time. And it's what we spend the most amount of time in our class on, right? Because we want you to understand that if you recognize your long-term capital gains and you're in a 12% tax bracket, you don't pay taxes on capital gains when you're in a 12% tax bracket. You also don't pay taxes on dividends if you're in a 12% tax bracket. So understanding the opportunities to create tax efficiencies in retirement is critical. The only way I can shake people enough to realize that there's options for them is for us to give examples for our clients. And I can tell you our average client is saving somewhere between five dollars and $15,000 a year in taxes every single year by knowing when to take money from which account at what age over their 30-year plan. We map it all out. And that's what we talk about and teach in the classes. How do you build a 30-year plan to find the windows of opportunity for tax efficiency to allow our money to last longer? You want to drive performance? Be tax efficient. Right. But the problem, Kirk, is most people who are listening are thinking, right, I want to live on $130,000 a year. I want to live on $140,000 a year. So you're using this hypothetical situation where I can be at a 12% tax bracket, but there's no way that's me. So give me give me something real here. So the majority of our clients with cash flow of between $130,000 and $150,000 a year in retirement end up in the 12% tax bracket after we do planning. There are so many opportunities from a tax planning perspective, and it's not you know, things that are going to raise a red flag or some crazy strategies. These are just timing opportunities, knowing when to take your social security, when to take money out of the IRAs and the 401ks versus your taxable and your savings accounts. Those are the things that are going to determine knowing which types of investments to use that are more tax efficient. Those are the things that are going to minimize taxes. There's nothing out of the ordinary here. This is really running, blocking, tackling, right? Of of investing, but it's, it's, it's the timing, it's the distribution planning, the income planning that is going to, and, and in addition to all that is knowing where the traps are, right? I mean, you know, Paul and I have been doing this so long, helping thousands of people through this retirement process. We know that you're, you're going to have traps. We know that every 3.2 years in retirement, you're going to have an unexpected expense you didn't budget for. We know where the mistakes are, and that's what we want to educate people when we teach our classes. So that's why Paul and I, we spend eight hours teaching these classes. And we teach the classes in a one full Saturday session or a two-weeknight evening classes. So these are eight hours, 200-page textbook. We move fast. It's comprehensive. And it's intended to teach you how to build your own 30-year roadmap, mapping it out every single year to create the greatest tax efficiencies, to mitigate the chances of outliving your money because of something called sequence of returns, how to choose the right investments for your situation where you're at, not a cookie-cutter plan, which is all you guys are getting right now. So I encourage you, pay the $29 tuition to attend. It's going to charity anyways. And come spend eight hours and learn how to do retirement planning. It, I, I don't know other, any other way to, to encourage you guys to do this. So go to retirementplanningedu.com, retirementplanningedu.com. Or you can call 1-800-240-8981, 1-800-240-8981. 
800-242-8981. Back with Kirk and Paul straight ahead for more Retirement Education Hour. Improving your performance. That's our topic today with Kurt Cassidy and Dr. Paul Mettler, president and co-president of Senior Planning Advisors. This is the Retirement Education Hour. I'm Megan Mozak, and I do have a question about something the two of you said earlier. You mentioned inheriting capital gains. What do you mean by that, and what do we need to know? So when you own a mutual fund outside of your 401ks and IRAs, um, every t- so what is first let's establish what a mutual fund is a mutual fund is a company that owns a bunch of individual stocks that many people own shares of that company so when you own a mutual fund you don't own Apple Microsoft AT&T you don't own any of those companies you own a company that owns those individual holdings so when you buy a mutual fund immediately from day one when you bought that mutual fund you're inheriting what that mutual fund currently owns. And what they currently own may be something they bought a long time ago. So in other words, they might have bought Apple many years ago at $100 a share. And even though you just bought the mutual fund, if that manager chooses to sell some of that individual Apple inside that mutual fund this year, you're going to be responsible for the taxes of whatever capital gains is recognized when that Apple shares are sold. But what if Kirk, what if you, the consumer decides not to sell that mutual fund? It right? doesn't matter if they sell the mutual fund or not. In fact, they could buy the mutual fund at the beginning of the year at $20 a share. We could have a bad year and that mutual fund value drops to $15 a share. They never sell the mutual fund, but the manager who's managing the individual holdings inside that mutual fund decides to sell some of their winners. You're going to get a 1099 at the end of the year, and you're going to have to pay capital gains on that. This is something most people don't realize. And the challenge when you're buying these mutual funds right now, and that's why really wealthy people typically don't own mutual funds. They're terribly inefficient. They're expensive in fees and their performance has historically been very poor. In fact, over the last 30 years, the average mutual fund has performed only at 3.98% compared to during that same time period, the S&P 500 has performed at over 10%. So part of that, this is what we're talking about performance is inefficiencies, right? And one of the inefficiencies is from a tax perspective. You're paying taxes. You're inheriting 15 to 25% capital gains the day you bought the mutual fund and you don't get to recognize you don't get to choose when to recognize those capital gains and not only do you not get to choose it but my guess is you don't even know how much you're inheriting in terms of capital gains right the average well you could do some research and find I, out but right yes, but most, you're, most, you're most, people, most of you are not knowing that when you buy your abc mutual fund that you're actually buying into a mutual fund that has 30 percent capital gains that that in fact you don't get to decide when it gets realized. And if they realize it, not only impacts the capital gains, but also can affect all your other taxes as well, which we're gonna, we can at some point talk about. Well, I, I, this, is, this is where we should, I think, um, expand the conversation around taxes, right? And it's something I know if you've been listening to our show for, for a while now, every, every show taxes comes up because it's such a key contributor to retirement planning and it's being ignored unfortunately by our industry everyone talks about tax efficiency but no one will do it if you ask your broker or advisor 
to help do tax planning. They're going to tell you to go see your accountant or CPA. Your accountant and CPA is going to say, go see your financial advisor. No one wants to do it. And it's because it's complicated. It takes an enormous amount of time. And it's what we spend the most amount of time in our class on, right? Because we want you to understand that if you recognize your long-term capital gains and you're in a 12% tax bracket, you don't pay taxes on capital gains when you're in a 12% tax bracket. You also don't pay taxes on dividends if you're in a 12% tax bracket. So understanding the opportunities to create tax efficiencies in retirement is critical. The only way I can shake people enough to realize that there's options for them is for us to give examples for our clients. And I can tell you our average client is saving somewhere between five dollars and $15,000 a year in taxes every single year by knowing when to take money from which account at what age over their 30-year plan. We map it all out. And that's what we talk about in teaching the classes. How do you build a 30-year plan to find the windows of opportunity for tax efficiency to allow our money to last longer? You want to drive performance? Be tax efficient. Right. But the problem, Kirk, is most people who are listening are thinking, right, I want to live on $130,000 a year. I want to live on $140,000 a year. So you're using this hypothetical situation where I can be at a 12% tax bracket, but there's no way that's me. So give me give me something real here. So the majority of our clients with cash flow of between $130,000 and $150,000 a year in retirement end up in the 12% tax bracket after we do planning. There are so many opportunities from a tax planning perspective, and it's not you know, things they're going to raise a red flag or some crazy strategies. These are just timing opportunities, knowing when to take your social security, when to take money out of the IRAs and the 401ks versus your taxable and your savings accounts. Those are the things that are going to determine knowing which types of investments to use that are more tax efficient. Those are the things that are going to minimize taxes. There's nothing out of the ordinary here. This is really running, blocking, tackling, right? Of of investing, but it's, it's, it's the timing, it's the distribution planning, the income planning that is going to, and, and in addition to all that is knowing where the traps are, right? I mean, you know, Paul and I have been doing this so long, helping thousands of people through this retirement process. We know that you're, you're going to have traps. We know that every 3.2 years in retirement, you're going to have an unexpected expense you didn't budget for. We know where the mistakes are, and that's what we want to educate people when we teach our classes. So that's why Paul and I, we spend eight hours teaching these classes. And we teach the classes in a one full Saturday session or a two week e- weeknight evening classes. So these are eight hours, 200-page textbook. We move fast. It's comprehensive. And it's intended to teach you how to build your own 30-year roadmap, mapping it out every single year to create the greatest tax efficiencies, to mitigate the chances of outliving your money because of something called sequence of returns, how to choose the right investments for your situation where you're at, not a cookie cutter plan, which is all you guys are getting right now. So I encourage you, pay the $29 tuition to attend. It's going to charity anyways. And come spend eight hours and learn how to do retirement planning. It, I, I don't know other, any other way to, to encourage you guys to do this. So go to retirementplanningedu.com, retirementplanningedu.com, or you can call 
1-800-240-8981. Back with Kirk and Paul straight ahead for more Retirement Education Hour. This is the Retirement Education Hour. Happy to have you along with us on the program today. I'm here with Kirk Cassidy and Dr. Paul Mettler, President, Co-President of Senior Planning Advisors. If we're talking about improving our financial performance leading up to and in retirement, Kirk and Paul, I would think that performance has a lot to do with either picking the right stocks or trying to time the market. Would I be right? Well, I, I, w- I would say that I hate to tell you wrong, you're wrong, Megan, but I, I, I'll say that most people feel similar to you believing that stock picking and market timing is what drives performance. But what studies have found, many studies, that stock picking and market timing have the least to do with what drives performance, particularly in retirement. In fact, I think stock picking represents 4% of uh, if you if you're thinking of uh, what 100% only 4% of what drives performance is stock picking and i what is it like 3% 3 or 4% for market timing think about that with market timing you have to be right twice right um so what drives performance is asset out al- something called asset allocation particularly in retirement because choosing and and i'll give it to you and I'll describe it to you the way we describe it in the class, and it's something we adhere to strictly for retirement planning. Asset allocation, and we're going to define it a little differently, in four different buckets. I know buckets are elementary and people have been using it forever, but I think it's the easiest way for people to follow along. So we're going to define it as four different buckets. One is a liquidity cash bucket, so in retirement, we, never, we know we're going to have unexpected expenses. We know we're going to have emergencies, but we aren't going to ever lose a job. We, we've already retired, so we don't need to have $100,000, $200,000 sitting in the bank, 6 to 12 months of savings sitting in the bank. That is not an efficient place for your money, and it's not practical, and you're never going to lose your job. But we do want to have enough, and we usually argue somewhere between thirty dollars and $50,000 of liquidity because we know we're going to have unexpected expenses that we didn't budget for. You have to remember, Paul and I have helped thousands of people to and through retirement. That's all we've done forever. We have taught thousands of people on how to build a retirement plan. We know the traps. We know the statistics. We know what percentage you are going to have emergencies and when you're going to have the emergencies. And we know what percentage you are going to have parents that are going to need your help financially for their health care issues. We know what percentage of you are going to need to help children because they've unsuccessful coming out of college, finding a job, or their student debt is so high that you feel compelled as a parent that you have to help your kids, or your children get divorced because divorce rates are 50% and all of a sudden they have a mortgage children and you got to help out. So we know the traps. So we want to make sure we have liquidity for those traps, those unexpected emergencies that we didn't budget for. We want to have the cash so we're never forced to sell in a volatile market. You never want to have to sell an investment when the market is down because you need cash. So now what we've done is locked in those losses. That's really dangerous. Bucket two is about income. This is guaranteed income. We have to have two different buckets, one for growth and one for income. These are different buckets. We don't take income from a growth bucket. We have a bucket of money simply just set aside for guaranteed income. 
These are pensions, Social Securities. It might be an insured product. I don't care what we use. As long as it doesn't have volatility, we have to have five to 10 years of income in a bucket that does not have volatility. Bucket three is growth. We want to leave this money alone. We, you do have to, you, you have to hang in there. The market does come back. It is true. But we cannot be taking money out of this account. This has to be left alone for at least 10 years. So this money, this growth bucket has to be dedicated for growth and never touched because we never want to be taking money out in a down market. That's locking in losses, creating something called sequence return risk, and it becomes very, very dangerous. And then some of you, legacy for the children are going to be really important. But all of you, if you're married, protecting the surviving spouse, the, the spouse that survives you, one of you are going to die first. So legacy isn't just about kids. It's about that, that spouse that survives you that has to be taken care of. And there's a lot of things that happen to that spouse from a financial perspective that's going to change. Medicare likely costs are likely going to go up for that surviving spouse. Their taxes are likely going to go up even though their income is going down because they're going from a married status to a single status. There are so many traps and there are so many avoidable mistakes in retirement. If you just educate yourself, go through the process of building a 30-year plan. Don't fall for our industry. It's simple. You'll be safe. Our software tells us you have a 90% chance of success. If you just take 4% out or 5% out, don't fall for that. There are too many variables that can cause really bad and harmful mistakes. You want to educate yourself, Paul. And that's why we teach the classes. It, it, it is. So, so, you know, Kirk, you did an awesome job describing these four buckets. As it relates to asset allocation, I think the key is when we talk about performance, if you have some money that's just allocated only for income, that as Kirk mentioned, has no volatility, that is no risk at all, the money that's in the other bucket that Kirk described, the growth bucket, over time will do well because we're not touching it and you're not going to panic if the market goes down because that's at the it. end of the day, if your income is coming from something that's totally safe, if, if you're not taking money or income from the growth bucket, you're not going to panic. You're going to be much more disciplined because you know you have enough income from the income bucket. Paul, you nailed it, right? You're, you nailed it. What drives performance is discipline. It is. And that's why the average investor over the last 30 years has performed at under 3%. And the S&P 500 has performed at 10%. That's the reason why you average investors aren't, don't perform well over periods of time is because of emotions, because you think you can time the market or stock pick. You will perform better, as Paul said, if you set aside money just for income and you leave your growth bucket alone and, uh, and, and don't panic. And that's going to be difficult in retirement. You have not experienced this relationship with money yet. You might be shaking your head or thinking we're being silly. I'm telling you, your relationship with money is going to change. You're going to be much more emotional. It's going to be much more difficult to be a disciplined investor in retirement. That's why, Paul, why don't you tell them about the class? Yeah, so we teach a class. It's typically held once a month at local universities, University of Michigan, Eastern Michigan University, Michigan State University, the Novi campus and Oakland University. It is eight hours, typically over two evenings, sometimes a full Saturday, 200-page textbook. It costs $29. And we talk about all the pieces that you need in your retirement puzzle. We teach you how to build your own retirement plan. If you want to learn more, go to retirementplanningedu.com. That's retirementplanningedu.com. 
or call 1-800-240-8981 and you can register when you call. You can also register online. And we're back with Kirk and Paul straight ahead. Happy to have you with us for another edition of the Retirement Education Hour. I'm Megan Mozak here with Kurt Cassidy and Dr. Paul Mettler. We've been talking about improving your financial performance, whether you're in retirement or nearing retirement. I want to talk about timing because part of your performance and making sure you're you're getting the most out of everything you've saved and worked for, Kirk and Paul, is understanding how and when to take income from your investments. Am I right? You are right. And, you know, again, this is where you've spent your whole lives being conditioned by our industry to focus on performance, 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 rates of return, average rates of return of this mutual fund. And I know for a lot of people, when they get into retirement, the decisions on what investments to use are determined by looking at a balanced portfolio, a 60-40 portfolio that has the best rate of return. So if something had an average 7% rate of return over the last 20 years or 10 years, then you guys are deciding that, well, I should be safe to be able to take out 5% each year. And that is horribly false and can really cause you a lot of harm in retirement. And unfortunately, that's what our industry is promoted to you. That's their focus has all been on a return on investments, right? In, in your performance. And that's how you're determining what percentage of money to take out based upon performance. And, and the problem with that is there's a couple of variables that and at time frames where we just totally lose control on whether or not what we want to take out is what we have to take out, right? I'm kind of talking code here, but once you turn 70 years old, whether you want to take a distribution, whether you want to take money out of your retirement accounts or not, you don't have a choice. You are forced to. They're called required minimum distributions. It starts at about 70 and a half years old, and you're going to have to take out about 4% a year, and it increases every year. By the time you're about 80, it's, it's almost 6%, and it's going to continue to go up. So here's the statistic that should shock everybody. We know that if we have a poor performance in our markets over the first five years in retirement, if we have a correction or a couple of bad years, the chances of outliving your money increases by 75%. Again, bad market in the first five years of retirement, a correction, the chances of outliving our money increases by 75%. So retirement planning is less about choosing the best mutual funds and what are the best investments to to invest in in retirement. It's more about when am I taking money out of which investments at what age and what kind of account am I taking it from? In other words, when do I start my social security? When do I take money out of IRAs and 401ks? When do I take money out of my savings and taxable accounts? What type of investments am I using for tax efficiency? What sequence, what blend of money at what times to minimize taxes and to eliminate something called sequence of return risk, which is the dirty secret our industry doesn't want to talk about, Paul. So, so I want to just recap something you said that I think is important here, which is that it's, it's feasible that over a 10-year period, you can do really well. You could average 10% over 10 years, every average rate of return 10%. But if in the first five years, the market, the first five years that you retire and you're taking money out, the market goes down, you actually, just because you average 10% over 10 years, if the market goes down that first five years, the risk of you 
outliving your money goes up significantly. So this is why when you guys focus on rates of return, average rates of return, it really doesn't uh, in the long run. It's it's really u- a useless statistic. It de- totally. What, what really matters is how is the market doing the first five years that you retire? And unless you all have a crystal ball, unless you know and you believe, you're confident that you know what the market's going to do the first five years, the risk of outliving your money goes up significantly when you're taking money from that growth bucket, which is why we don't use that growth bucket in the first five years because we know that you can't afford Right, you can't afford to outlive your money. Right, we're, we're when we build a plan, when we teach our class and teach people how to build their plans, we're, we're going to make sure that the first five to ten years in retirement, you're taking your distributions, your income from accounts that don't have volatility. You can't do that; it's too risky. Otherwise, it makes me think of the one example. Actually, I think we give like five examples, but the one that I think shocks most is where we show two different people with the same over 10% average rate of returns over a 20-year period. And all we do is flip the sequence of returns where one portfolio has the returns being good early, averages 10% rate of return and takes 5% a year out for income, and they're fine. In retirement, they never outlive their money. The other person, we just flipped it, and now we, in the first five years, we had a few bad years, same average 10% rate of return, take 5% out of it per year to live on, ran out of money in 17 years. 17 years. And we both, show both, exam- both with the same rate of return. Same average rate of return, just in a different order of the returns, different sequence of returns. And, and we show example after example. I can show you how you have an average 7% rate of return over a 10-year period and you lost money. Tell me what happens in the first five years and you're going to know whether you made money or lost money. This becomes, you guys are so focused on performance and mutual funds and which investments to invest in, and that's the least important thing in retirement. It's, it's when we're taking the money from which accounts at what age and mapping that out to eliminate sequence of return risk and don't get trapped by those emergencies. So this really gets to the heart of the show, right? Yeah. The heart of the show is about performance. How do you in- improve performance? At the end of the day, performance is about not outliving your money, you guys. And really, it's about making sure you're not taking distributions from accounts that are highly volatile in the first five years of retirement. So this is one subject of many, many, many subjects we talk about in our class. Kirk and I teach a class once a month at local universities throughout Southeast Michigan, University of Michigan, Eastern Michigan University, Michigan State University, the Novi Campus, and Oakland University. It is an eight-hour class. 200-page textbook, either two evenings or a full Saturday. It's $29 to attend. We invite all of you to come to this class and learn. If you want to learn more, go to retirementplanningedu.com, retirementplanningedu.com, or call 1-800-240-8981. Kirk and Paul, another great informative show today. That website again, retirementplanningedu.com. That's retirementplanningedu.com. We hope you'll join us next week. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Opinions expressed are solely those of senior planning advisors and staff. All topics covered are believed to be from reliable sources. However, senior planning advisors makes no representations as to its accuracy or completeness. 
This shall in no way be construed as a solicitation to sell securities or investment advisory services to residents of any state other than Michigan or where otherwise permitted. Topics should be discussed with your individual advisor prior to implementation. Fee-based financial planning and investment advisory services offered through Strategic Investment Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance products and services are offered through Senior Planning Advisors. Strategic Investment Advisors and Senior Planning Advisors are affiliated companies.